All right, so listen, I guess this past week was kind of a slow week. So oh, it was nothing. What's to talk about? I mean, really, I mean, okay, fair enough. There is the uh, Iowa caucuses uh, disaster, um, which, which, you know, that's something to talk about. Let's see. There's also the um, Nancy Pelosi ripping up the uh, inaugural dress uh, copy that she had. State of the Union, I think. Yeah, sorry, you're right. State of the Union. That's, I guess we can talk about it. there was the continuing conviction trial of Donald J. Trump uh, and his acquit- the acquittal of, uh, uh, of him. Uh, I guess that's something we can talk about. I mean, you know, if you consider those things to be meaningful. Super Bowl. Um, there was a Super Bowl. Yeah, there was a Super Bowl. And, uh, and then, of course, uh, Trump now has the highest approval rating uh, of his entire first term. Uh, you know, I mean, I, whatever. I mean, I guess you talk about those things if, you know, since we have nothing else to talk about. Well, normally on the Barack Lurie podcast, we discuss the broader themes of life <laughs> that are true. more universal. But I, and I will. I, I will. There, there is an important one that a very good friend of mine, Tracy Karasik, has brought up, and I want to discuss that. It's about this kind of push and pull uh, that women have to deal with in terms of family versus work. You know, the classic thing you hear all the time, how do you balance those things? But but that's later on in this podcast because it's, uh, it's a really worthy one and I have a very different take on it, a very different approach to the whole thing. Okay, uh, let's first of all talk about the, uh, the impeachment trial and how crazy that was and Mitt Romney uh, deciding to vote against the president to convict him on one of the charges. I, I believe it was the abuse of process charge. Anyway, so I don't even want to begin with this nonsense. So here we are uh, with the acquittal that everyone knew was coming a long time ago. There was no way on God's green earth that there were this, that this would even come close to a conviction. Uh, so it was a majority, 52-48 on the abuse of process and 53-47 on the obstruction of Congress charge. And uh, it was a blowout in every sense of the word. And it was totally partisan. It was totally partisan to begin with. And here we are. Okay. And once again, as we discussed, the Democrats never plan ahead to say, let's see what might happen. Out of what are the consequences of this? They thought that they were going to be hobbling Donald Trump at the knees and they would be tripping him up in every way possible and that he would be uh, cloistered in the Oval Office, you know, uh, like, uh, like Jimmy Carter, you know, at the Rose Garden during the Iranian hostage crisis. That's what they thought, that he would be so worried all the time and biting his fingernails, whatever will befall me. Wearing, that, wearing it, a sweater. Yeah, wearing a sweater. Exactly, wearing a sweater. But instead, no, no, no. He he goes out on the on the stump, talk, laughing at the Democrats the entire process, which is not a surprise for Donald Trump, and uh, showing what a charade this was. And then, of course, it, it proceeds apace, and it and, and it it reveals itself to be the farce that it was. And he now gets to say, "I was acquitted. These were bogus charges, right? I've to- I'm totally exonerated, right?" And he's right. I'm huge. I'm huge. People <laughs> love me. And, and not only that, but they get to, he gets to say correctly that now he has the highest approval rating that he ever had. And no doubt, a, a part of that, if not all of it, no, a part of it, was because they perceived him to be wrongly victimized, wrongly targeted for this impeachment. And I think that's totally fair. 
people are really pissed off at the Democrats, and they're saying, look, you know, it, you, you can't treat a president like this. You know that this is, these are false charges, and you don't even know why you're doing this. You're doing it only for political gain. So that, that was a big deal, very, very big deal, and it, I think it only pushes more and more people from the Democrat uh, candidate, whoever that might be, to uh, Donald J. Trump in November, on November 3rd, 2020. By the way, I, you know, there is a, um, you know, the, the, the hurricane centers, they, they, um, they, they, they have names that they, we already know what the future names will be um, of the, in the hurricane cycle. So, and, and I don't, let's just say, you know, Abbott, uh, Johnson, whatever, you know, they, they actually already have it laid out. Yeah, Alan, Betty. Right, uh, Charlie. Carson, Charlie. Yeah, that sort uh, of thing. David. Or you, you got it, you got it. Yeah, that's right. You, you got the, these are, those are examples of names, all right? right? Very good for you. And they go alphabetically, they switch male to female, depending on the hurricanes, you know. Okay, the so the point is that they do this, but we don't know which hurricanes and where they're going to land and what their intensity is, but they're going to be named like yeah, that. Yeah, and we, you don't know which one's going to get which name. Right. Well, except for one. They do know one. And not only do they know this one, but they also know the date it's going to happen. It's called Hurricane Trump. Oh, the one that hits November 3rd. November 3rd. Yeah, yeah. Precisely. I know that, I know that one. And it's going to yeah. be all over this the land. Tea, it's a tea. huge, it's a Category 10 <laughs> hurricane. <laughs> it'll be bad. And, and, and the amazing thing is that it'll only hit Democrats. <laughs> well, it's only hitting certain states, I believe. Yes. Uh, Massachusetts, New York, California, <laughs> Illinois. <laughs> oh, it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be so beautiful. It's going to be a thing of beauty. Totally perfect. <laughs> it's gonna be great. I love. I love what's going on. Yeah, it's so to quote, delightful. To quote Maynard from the band Tool, "You better learn to swim, swim." You know, it's funny <laughs> when it comes to Trump. They don't realize it, but you know, in, in trial, I, we have a lot of trial work, right? We we go there, and you can have two different kinds of people. You know, one is the plaintiff, one is the defendant, and they can both be jerks, really. But one can be such a jerk, more of a jerk, that the other one looks really pristine in comparison. And, and, and that's what's happening with Trump. You know, they, they had thought that he was so evil, that he, he was so uncouth, that he was a harasser, that sort of thing. He, but, used, the, he used the dinner fork to eat a salad. Oh, God forbid. No, please, let's not go that far. But, yeah, all right, you are... Listen, this is a family he podcast. Uses, he uses the teaspoon to eat a soup. You know, bad oh, stuff. Stop. All right, this is... Please, the, the, the children are listening. Okay, <laughs> the point is... That, that he's so uncouth and all these terrible things about him, but yet the Democrats act so childishly and so evilly and so uh, immaturely, all, all the words that you could possibly imagine, with Nancy Pelosi tearing up the copy of the State of the Union speech that, I mean, really, that at some point they say, you know what, Donald Trump looks pretty couth and pretty appropriate and pretty presidential for that matter, compared to all these other schmucks on the Democrat side. You're, you're only making it worse for yourselves, guys. You need to, if you really want to say that, that Trump is so uncouth, then, then act couth on your part, yeah, that at should, the very least. That should have never been an attack on their part. They should have been self-aware enough to know that they're bizarre, deranged, perverted, and immature. 
Yeah. Right? They know, I mean, the Paul Wellstone Memorial going back a decade and a half, if you remember that, where they turned a funeral into a political rally against Oh, George yes, Bush, I remember that now. Right? And these are the same people. Yeah. You know, Schiff, Pelosi, Nadler, you know, longstanding old guard Democrats. And they should have known themselves enough not to attack a, attack a guy for being ill-tempered and bad-behaviored. Well, you're so you know? right. You're so right. But look, this is a party, the Democrat Party, of course, that just doesn't know who they are. They don't know what they stand for. They don't have a platform anymore, uh, other than the socialist platform, of course. But they can't announce it. So whatever they, their platform is, they, they A, can't announce it, and they can't live by it, and they only have to, they only have emotions to respond to it. It's not a winning strategy at the end of the day. Look what's happening now, and it dovetails into the next point about the Iowa caucuses. Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh-oh. So to, to look at the lost story, and I think Nolte from uh, Breitbart brought this up, uh, and Breitbart, by the way, is a fantastic uh, uh, news outlet. It's, it's so reliable. You can uh, you can buy all the claptrap that somehow it's a partisan rag and uh, you know they're they're crazy out there. But you know these are so-called crazy people that end up being right all the time. Well, also unlike uh, unlike leftist media, there's there's truth in labeling. They tell you ahead of time we're a conservative outlet. If you want liberal news, go elsewhere. Yeah, but the point is that conservative outlets, at least Breitbart and Gateway Pundit and and otherwise, are. Uh, pajama media, uh, they they tell it like it is. Yeah, I mean, they're accurate. They're accurate about it. They don't lie to you about you know the chances of Trump being convicted or whatever. They say, okay, well here it is, and we we think that this is a stupid argument, and uh, and and sure enough that it plays out, and and that's what I like about it. Anyway, Nolte said correctly that the big story out of Iowa was not who's going to win that particular caucus, and uh, it looks like it's Buttigieg, uh, but. The fact that nobody showed up, it's, it's, it was empty. And that's not, not a surprise to you and me. Right. Uh, it would be a surprise if anybody showed up in, in meaningful numbers. But sure enough, they did not show up in meaningful numbers. Uh, where were they, you ask? That's right, at a Trump rally. <laughs> that's where they're at. <laughs> Guys, you don't get it. Your team has moved over to the Republican Party. Yeah, well, it gets they're, you, At the very least, they're yes. getting excited about what Trump has to say. We've been saying this time and time again. That Trump rally after Trump rally, they, they are finding out that at least 20% of the attendees are registered Democrats. And they're not there to protest. They're there to say, let's check out this guy. Or B, you know what? I like this guy, and, I want, and I'm, a, I'm a newly enthusiastic convert. That's what they're, yeah. they're there for. for. That's where they're at, folks. They're not at the caucuses. They're not going to show up as in big numbers in Vermont and otherwise. You're going to see the, the, the tepid response. And the way the MSNBC and CNN and so on are going to address it is, is not to address it at all. No, to ignore pretend it isn't happening. Now you missed a huge opportunity. Oh, you should have said they're here to transition. Right? Yes, that's, <laughs> that's a real transition that's going the, on. Yeah, that's, that's the real transition. That's and, a transing that's going you, on. You said they're at a Trump rally. In a way, you're half right, but it's even worse than that. Where were they? 27,000 of them went out in the cold the night of the Iowa caucus to caucus as a Republican for Donald Trump in an uncontested. <laughs> that's a good point. I mean, they showed up to vote in something, though. <laughs> 
you know, was already decided. <laughs> they inconvenienced themselves that. just to show up for moral support. Yeah. That's bad. Oh, man. And, and Mark Stein did an analysis of this. There were um, 1,700, I think the number is, 1,700 uh, caucusing locations. And 170,000 caucusers for the Democrats actually showed up. That's only 100 people per location wow. on average. Wow. And they couldn't even count those accurately. You know, wow. okay, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, that, and that's the lesser part of the story to, to my yeah. mind and to your mind. But the, the delay in delivering the results and right, all, what, that what, shenanigans. Yeah, all, all the impact that that will have. On the future primaries and such, and will Iowa become the the leader again in the future? I, I don't really care about that so much. Yeah, I wasn't getting into that. I was just talking about raw numbers. I per, know, I know. That's what that's that's the story I want. Tiny. Okay. All right. All right. I I, I get that. That means what I mean. But I I'm saying that the that the numbers are what is the, the true story, without getting into the shenanigans about the delay in the ballots and such like that. You would think that, but you know that is the small part of that story is well, there's your government at work, right? That they're so inefficient, and you know time and time again we we realize how bad this is, uh, how bad big government is. Uh, now, the next story uh, is of course Nancy Pelosi, ripping up the State of the Union copy of the address that uh, Trump had given. All right. So first of all, the, the State of the Union address that Trump gave this past uh, Tuesday was fabulous. It was awesome. Just really strong. It hit key themes. It talked about great um, motifs for the Trump administration. I was floored, pleasantly floored, when he said uh, he talked about how he's going to be fighting uh, the abortion lobby and taking on this the, these new laws to uh, make sure that uh, that the pro-lifers got their their day in court and otherwise it, fantastic stuff uh, things were that were clearly partisan in, in the conservative camp and so it should be I'm, I'm very pleased about that and another thing now that I think about it is the school choice thing that he's really pushing for that and and God bless him for that we th this notion that somehow people should be stuck with a school that is not of their choosing, that is an inferior school, merely because they live in a, uh, a certain area, that to me, it should be unacceptable for everyone. Everyone. I mean, here we have a, a Democrat platform that says that universal health care should be available to everyone, you know, regardless, right? They don't say you can only go to this hospital or that hospital, right? They, they, they say it should be available regardless. But somehow when it comes to your child's education, you should be stuck because of your zip code. It's totally offensive, maybe, maybe right? Republicans should sell this to the public by saying, but we believe in universal education. There you go. That's the, wow, that's, that's some interesting messaging. But let's let's. I don't want to move too too <laughs> right. far off topic. The the point is that throughout this entire uh, speech, I listened to most of it, and uh, and I saw you know I saw it too, and it was palpably noticeable that throughout the entire speech, Nancy Pelosi was in the background, and she was looking this way and that, and kind of shuffling papers. You know, to make it clear, like, this is something that the president is doing while she is, you know, working on something else. Like, like sometimes you, you might Here, be watching. Here's some, here some papers. Here, you, yeah. you talk. Yeah, no, no I, I get it. I you get, get it. it. Yeah, yeah he's going to demonstrate for us, but you understand that this is not, yeah. this is not being filmed. Okay, so 
But the, it's it's like you know you watch the game in the background, right? <laughs> you know you might uh, you do your bills while you're watching the news just Maybe to see a what's happening. Puzzle. Yes. So, you know, yeah, sure. The president has been invited there, and he can, he can give his cute little speech. But I I, I got work to do. I, you know, I mean, time is precious. I'm not going to sit around just watching the president say these you know you know uh, diatribes and these trifles. So. I'm going to get to the business of moving my papers around. <laughs> That's what she was doing. And she didn't even, didn't even fake it very well. Like, if you're really going to pretend to be doing more important work, then get a pen and then pre- pretend to be scribbling things like checking it or signing documents or whatever. But instead, no, you moved one paper to the other, you know, like, like Sisyphus and his rock. You know, it's, <laughs> that's, a, that's what he was like. Yeah. It was weird. You and, know what she was acting like? It just occurred to me. She was acting like the senator stuck in the impeachment trial last week. Oh, yes, that's right. Making paper airplanes. She said that. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Everyone was wasting their time. It's it's a bipartisan problem. (laughs) Okay, so anyway. But then, of course, the coup de grace was that she, at the end of the the speech, when Trump was, was concluded, he... He's, he said, you know, thank you, God bless, and all the good stuff that the president usually says. And she gets up and she starts ripping up his speech, uh, not just once, but several times. Yeah, each just of to, the pages. Yeah, just so that, just so that, you know, you can get many different angles of this. Like, hey, guys, I'm beginning to rip this up in case one of you is not filming me. I want you to announce it to each other and all race it so you can see. Uh, the many angles, uh, from, from many angles, how I'm ripping up this speech. Uh, it's, it came off as so petty. Now, the thing, of course, is that many people in her base, at least, you know, the true believers would say, this is the way to stand up to fascism. <clears throat> Truth to power. Yes. This is your, your quiet protest uh, against, you know, this mission. It's, it's like, you know, holding a candle you know, of a menorah to the Nazis somehow, or putting the flower into that, uh, into the, the gun. soldier's gun in the 60s, right? Yeah. That sort of thing. Or the silent mothers of the disappeared in Argentina. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. right. You got it. That's right. <laughs> a U2 song is playing in the background. Yeah, that's right. And this is her only way of expressing, you know, the, the, the resistance, as it were, right? So uh, <laughs> you, you fight, girl. Yeah. You, you go for it. And so she, she does this, but look, as you know, we always talk about the impact of things as opposed to just talking about the meaning of things, right? I mean, the meaning is very important, but but the impact of this. Okay, so let's talk about that impact. For the true believers, you know, the 10% of the population that will always vote Democrat, even if it's uh, Che Guevara. Oh, by the way, it is there is it Che is Guevara. Guevara. <laughs> yeah, but that's another point altogether. But the point is, they will still vote and still believe everything. It doesn't matter what Nancy Pelosi would do. It doesn't matter what Bernie Sanders might do, Joe Biden, someone like that. They could literally kill somebody on Fifth Street, so to speak, Fifth Avenue, and and get away with it. And they would say that that was actually advancing their cause of of the policies, that it's a good thing that he killed many people on Fifth Avenue, as as opposed to just getting away with it, right? And... So that, that, forget about those people. Of course they will side with her, and they'll say exactly what we just said, that she was simply um, speaking truth to power, and not only that, but it was brave of her to do so, and this is, this is our voice, you know, and, and speaking out for the, for the people 
of this great country against the fascistic enterprise <laughs> the that is that is yeah the voiceless <laughs> the, the fascistic enterprise that is Donald J Trump right that's what they that's what they will believe it now yeah and then of course there's those of us on the right like you and me we we see her as just fuddy-duddy. I mean, she doesn't do anything. She's at, at best, she's just totally inept, and uh, she's hurting our country. And everything she does it seems to be with the lens of seeing to destroy it. Okay, and, and I think we're right, you and I. <clears throat> but of course, in between is a vast majority of the country, and they can be swayed. As you and I, I'd like to think I can be swayed, but the Democrats certainly have not done anything to sway me. But this vast majority in the middle is watching that. And I, I can only believe that for that vast majority in the middle, seeing what Nancy Pelosi did, they could only have said, what the frig was that about, right? It's, it's obviously disrespectful, okay? You know, that they, they understand that there are differences in the, the, uh, the agendas of the two parties. They get that. What they don't abide by is the kind of uh, showmanship that you just saw from Pelosi. At the very least, when the president is speaking, you don't do that crap, right? You and I, for example, and I think I speak for you, that if we were to uh, see Obama, especially when he was president, uh, we would shake his hand. Hello, Mr. President. And, and be you know, polite. And yes. be polite. Exactly right. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we, in, internally, we, we don't agree with any of his policies, but we wouldn't slap him around or anything else or refuse to shake his hand. or No, we you know, consider him a human being worthy yeah. of, of basic respect. Right. No, we, we Our understand. disagreement is political. It's, right. it's, 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 if you will, a professional disagreement, not That's personal. A professional. Exactly. That, I like that. Uh, we understand that this is the man that the country elected. In that he is the president, and we are shaking hands with the president, with a capital P. He represents the office of the president. And that's, you know, we wish it was somebody else, but okay, fine. That's the way it is. And we're very, very glad he's not president anymore, right. which means we even have more of an obligation to be polite to him now. Right. Unlike so, our friends on the other side right. who derisively say Bush should be locked up after leaving <laughs> office, exactly. as an example. Exactly. So Pelosi is doing this thing, the equivalent of not shaking the hand. Uh, and there's another story to that, but I don't want to get into that. But Pelosi did, you know, I think it's horrific what she did. It was uh, a, a terrible sh sign of disrespect to the presidency and to the, the, um, the protocol that we normally observe and respect. So... That's going to be something that will flow down to the base, and they will show. Look, they, they, they're losing their their argument to say that Donald Trump is uncouth, that he's not just you know that we can't believe this bad orange man who is so brash and such like that. Well, who's being brash now, right? I mean, what's worse? Who's being who's being petty? Who's being childish? Who's being making silly comments now? <clears throat> um, when, when Nancy Pelosi on, I think it was one of the late night, J uh, Jimmy Kimmel Live or something, said, well, he'll always have been impeached. You know, they're like, ooh, that's, oh, yeah. And, and then everyone claps to that. Well, you know what? She'll always be the terror-upper of a piece she'll, of paper in a childish move. She'll always be the ineffective loser. That's yeah. the way I look at it. And uh, ripping up the, the, uh, the copy of the speech is just one of many uh, inept things that she did that she failed to accomplish. So... We've got that, and, yeah, I think and at the end, at the end of the day, it's look. It's like anything else. Uh, you, let's say you go to a therapist, your, your couple's therapy. Okay. How do you know? 
<laughs> Let's say you go to that. All right, there's the man and the woman, and the woman, I'll just, I'm just choosing the woman for, for random reason. She is, uh, I don't know, getting drunk all the time. She lies all the time, uh, and she's got a, a temper, okay? And that becomes a discussion. And, you know, Sally here, well, she's a little off, and it's very disappointing, and I, and I really don't enjoy it. I find this very difficult to stay in this marriage because of these different things. And he, he, try, he sounds articulate. And then, and the therapist is now working with him, kind of siding with him, because ultimately a therapist has to side with one of the two, at least on one or two issues. And then all of a sudden he goes crazy himself, right? Suddenly, and, and he does drugs, and he's yelling and screaming, and, and he hits violent, her, and he's yeah. violent. So all of a sudden, the, the playing field, she gets to say, well, you ain't, you ain't no um, uh, peach yourself, buddy. And, and she'd be right. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, you've given that the man in this case has given the wife all this fodder for her to argue to say, you're the you're the lousy one. Yeah, you're the one who needs to change. The only way I'm drinking is to deal with this. With you. Exactly right. Yeah. So that's what's happening. Now, I mean, I, I don't believe that Donald Trump is the brash guy that they that, or at least as brash no, as they making... claim it to be. Hold on. But I don't believe that. But nonetheless, now they get to say Trump, Trump gets to say Look at this buffoon. You're look how disrespectful. Yeah. Look how look how silly and petty she is. Yeah, you're making a point that's I, I think even more powerful than you know at this point. If you go back to past episodes of the Lori Broccoli podcast, there was an episode early in our days when you made we were talking about why people are Democrats. And it's the popular party. It's viewed as the cool people, right? Right. And what she did is it's been an a late stage of a process. It's been happening for a while. Right. But it's in many ways that I don't like to say final nail on the cough of things because in politics there are no final nails. It's like science. It's constantly evolving as you have more information as you go down in time. But it's definitely a tipping point moment where a lot of people who side with the Democrat Party because of the perception that there are the cool kids are seeing... No, those are the nerds. Right. Those are not yep, the cool yep. kids. That's right. And I don't know if the Republicans are the cool kids, but Trump's pretty cool. And all that stuff they've been saying about him, now that I know that they're nerds, that's not adding up anymore. Yeah, you're, you're so right. And it's, it's, a, it's a big cultural moment more than it is a big political moment. And big cultural moments are the biggest political moments. Right. Here's, uh, on a related topic, a slight change of pace on this one, is to ask about the ultimate strategy. Um, because it was a losing strategy on the part of the Democrats to push this for, for this impeachment and ultimately the trial in the Senate, they, they knew that it, it could not result in what they wanted. So, But they saw this as a process. They thought that it would undermine Trump um, and that the impeachment would always be attached to his name. Okay, fine. Um, and he'll be reelected regardless. So good luck on that one. But nevertheless, that was their game. And the impact of that, however, will be that the Democrats lost that game. And that they, they seem petty and, and all the things we just mentioned. So why would you go with a loser, right? Oh, so, Iowa right? is what? Yeah, that's, that's what happened. That re- so, 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 yes. so here is an interesting point. I, I'm a lawyer. I take on litigation matters. 
generally speaking, that means I'm, I'm in battle in court uh, a lot. And so sometimes I get a client who says, listen, let's fight the good fight. I don't expect to win, but I, I want to make sure that they understand and, and hear my voice about why what they did was wrong. I get it that we don't have enough evidence of it, but I'm, I want to expose them, let's say. And I have a client, clients every once in a while, or potential clients, every one, once in a while say that. Here's what I say to them in response. I'm sorry, but I cannot take your case. Right. And why not? I, you know, I understand fully that the, the, the risk of loss here. And, and I said, I, I appreciate that. But first of all, I like to win. <laughs> That's me. All right. I, I like to win. I don't like to go in there knowing that I might lose. OK, I, I don't even like in my mind, if I'm if again, I will never give actual numbers to a potential client about what I'm thinking. But in my own personal mind, if I feel it's only a 50 50 game, I, I I'm not going to take the case. I would rather take a case that I feel like we have a pretty good shot of winning more than 50 50 and and usually substantially more. But if I know that, that we would lose because there's not enough evidence, I ain't going to take it, even if the client, even if the client uh, is okay with it. The reason why is when you actually get to that point, the client starts thinking, okay, we might have a shot here. Let's argue this. Let's argue that. And then they, they, they lose. Then they're going to say, well, you did something bad. And it, it's a notch on their belt, and they never feel good about you at the end of the day. They don't say, thank you for, for prosecuting a case that ultimately I lost. Yeah, thank you for caring. Yeah, it, yeah, it's not like that. Also, isn't it immoral to clog up the legal system with a useless case? For sure. Well, for a case that you don't think has merit. Now, sometimes you can push for a matter that is uh, not supported by the law, but you're advancing it because you think the law needs to be changed. Okay? It, it's the that ain't right sort of approach to the law. And, and that's how law gets changed. And that's okay. But I'm talking about the standard, uh, I don't know, let's promise or no case where somebody's owed a million dollars, let's say, and they don't have the evidence uh, for whatever reason, and uh, they want to push it anyway. I, uh, I don't, I don't want to take it. The, the ultimate problem is that they get upset you for, for losing. You've got a loss uh, on your record, so to speak. And I don't, it doesn't make me feel good. So, but people remember the loss. That's what it is. And the judge remembers that you lost, that you advanced a poor argument and so on like that. And that's my point. My point is that the American population now looks at this conviction trial as a loss for the Democrats. And they are losers. Okay? They, they've lost. All their policies fail. And then the, and then the corruption, uh, sorry, the, the Russian collusion issue, that failed. Uh, the Stormy Daniels thing failed. It looks like the General Flynn thing is going to be overturned and fail, right? And then, of course, now this conviction trial has uh, – this uh, impeachment trial has failed. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, Donald J. Trump, the roadrunner, keeps winning, keeps surviving. Right. The Coyotes bought every item in the Acme catalog to destroy them, and none <laughs> of them true. work. <laughs> in the Acme catalog. Yeah. I like that. It's very funny. But but there's a, there's a point where somebody – I mean, is, we all have friends that – you say, you know what? I want to I wanna hang out with Charlie because whatever Charlie does seems to turn to gold. Whatever he touches seems to, to do really well. And I, I want to hang out with Charlie, right? And then there's, you know, with Donald, who everything he does seems to fail. You don't want to hang out with Donald, right? I think At we need to change the names to Joe and Donald. <laughs> okay. But Donald right. is the Oh, first you're right. Name. I'm sorry. What was I thinking? Yeah. You're right. You're right. 
not Donald. Uh, Joe. Well, Joe, yeah, Joe. exactly right. Good point. Thank you. That, that was worthy of a correction, and I appreciate that. We here at the Broccoli <laughs> Podcast Editing Desk have a very good record for yes, fixing. Yes, I don't know why I said Donald. Uh, anyway, the point is yeah. that, that... Well, you're Don- just so generous. Yes, yes thank you very much. Help. Donald Trump, that is, uh, is a winner. And, right. and, and we, we are not tired of winning. We, we keep on seeing the win. And it's, it's a little bit like that investment broker, uh, advisor, who says, you know what, Barack? I just have a good vision for Apple. You know, back in the year 1990, okay, and, and that it's going to revive itself. Uh, the, notwithstanding, it seems to be doing really poorly. You know, there's this there's a stock called Amazon, and he would be saying it to you, 1996, let's say. I think they're onto something. Let's go with that. Yeah, just put, <laughs> just put 150 bucks in it. Yeah, exactly. Let's see where happy. it takes us. Yeah. Uh, and and winner after winner after winner, and and that's the way the investment world works, by the way, both in the stock market and in the real estate investment market. People go with winners, and they're able to say, look, I was able to return this amount to my clients on that, uh, these different projects. And, uh, you know, you got to go with Johnny. He's, he just seems to have that yeah, magic touch. I know, I know and that's the way it is. Wait, wait. That's right. the way it is with Trump. Yeah. They, they are just saying, like, he's a winner. And, and, and they don't get that. The, the Democrats don't get that. That is the runaway problem that they're dealing with. It, the runaway problem is Trump himself in terms of how successful he is. He gets things done. When, I, when you think of Donald Trump, one among the many things that you think about him, you, you know that when he sets his mind to do something, it's going to get done. And people like that. Yeah. They like that a lot. And, and no other president has seemed to have achieved that way. All right. I want to move on to a very different topic. As I said to you, uh, my good friend Tracy Karasik, who's very, very involved, by the way, in the Jewish Republican Alliance. I, I love this organization. They are phenomenal. She brought up an interesting topic that actually is part and parcel of my upcoming book, Atheism Destroys. And it's about the notion, this tug and pull of, uh, push and pull of the argument that you know, women have it really tough. You know, on the one hand, they've got to balance their work lives, and the other hand, take care of the kids. And isn't this a problem? And, you know, is our society built around helping these working moms uh, in that situation? Now, I told you I have a very different approach to all this because that very question, sometimes the very question presents some assumptions, doesn't it? It presents the assumption that working is more important than raising a child, doesn't it? Like, oh, the woman has to, wants to work, she has to work, and therefore let's do all these maternal leave, uh, maternity leave things and everything else is balanced on that and you know, we need to respect it, whatever. But at the end of the day, the question really should turn on what gives you meaning? What do you value? Right? If you, if what gives you meaning is work, I'm talking as as a woman, that you know your work might be as a dentist, as a lawyer, as an accountant, and so on, and this is what you want to achieve, or God forbid, a screenplay writer. Good luck on that. But whatever, okay? Or as an actor, and that's what you value, and that's what gives you meaning. Then. Having children may, it seems to play second fiddle to a lot of women. 
And, and therein lies the problem. That's the issue. Because if we as a society value a woman working more than having the child, then we're going to have this push and pull for a long, long time. However, if a woman sees that having a child, and many children for that matter, is far more meaningful, far more of value in the raising of those kids in a successful and meaningful way, if that's much more meaningful, then, then the issue should really be the reverse, shouldn't it? It should be more, how can we allow the woman to stay at home more often? How can we ramp up the men to help to help them do their work thing and so that the, the woman can, can raise the children. How do we look at this as a society? For example, it's a woman, you want the right to work, right? Okay, fine. You well, have the right to work. stopping them from any rights right well, now? Well, for yeah. sure. For sure. That's a good point. No one's stopping them, so that's, that's issue number one, but really a side issue. The point is, why would you want that? I mean, it's like, it's like, you know, it's like saying, I want the right to clean up the dishes, you know, it's the cooking or the dishes, which is more enjoyable to you, right? Um, one is not necessarily better than the other, but I think it is. The cooking is the creative part. You're providing nourishment. You're providing a, a great tasty meal. But somebody has to clean up the dishes, Yeah, the, right? The, the dishes is like the accounting work. Right. You know. What if we look at work, whether it's my being a lawyer, as cleaning up the dishes, or you know, organizing the house, or dusting, or whatever it is that you want, doing the gardening, and the the raising of children as the priority, the cooking, the the, the enjoyment of the house itself, because I I think that's the way I look at it, and that's why the religious folks, both Jewish and Christian, they they got it right. They have a lot of kids because they understand that the value is in having the children and raising those kids. For many others who are not religious, the value is all on the work. And so if they do have kids, they have one, maybe two, very often no kids at all, because, you know, after all, it's more important and, and children are a burden and they're expensive and they're otherwise a liability and why would they want to deal with their tantrums and so on. And, of course, it just feeds into the cycle because the more a woman works especially, uh, the, the less time she has to, to devote to the children who in turn then act out, who in turn prove to the mother that, that, they're, a that they're a burden. Yeah, why would they want to be near their kids? Whereas you talk to these religious folks with six kids sometimes and they have a, a wonderful life. And, yes, the, the mother might be working quarter time somewhere. She might be, depending on the, the wealth of the, the couple, maybe she's just volunteering. Okay, that's fine. But it's, it's all a question of time and where you spend that time, what you value at the end of the day, what gives you meaning at the end of the day. For me, I'm jealous of my wife, okay? She may be jealous of me in a sense, but she's not, that I get to work. Sort of. But that's like saying I get to do the dishes. I have to work. I enjoy what I do. Don't get me wrong. I like being a lawyer. I, I, I whistle while I work, so to speak, right? But hell, I'm, I'm jealous as heck of her. She gets to spend more time with the kids than I do. And my kids, I, I, they're a pleasure. I love raising them. I can't wait to see them at home. I value raising the children. And my wife does too. God bless her. That's the difference. And so when you talk about the work 
child rearing balance, uh, that's a whole different way of looking at it. The question is what gives you value, what gives you meaning, and then you go forward. At the end of the day, when you die, you have got a tombstone, and the tomb says, says it doesn't say uh, Barack Lurie, great lawyer, won many summary judgments, and uh, got a co- couple of published decisions. It doesn't say that. I want it to say. Well, you could put that on. There <laughs> I guess if you so. That's true. I could ask my relatives <laughs> to do that. But wow, yeah, this is kids. Uh, we're going to visit our great grandfather <laughs> Barack Lurie. This is where he's buried. Right. Did you know that he won eighty-two summary judgments <laughs> exactly. in his career Woo. in real estate cases? <laughs> That's right. He made a difference. Right. No one's going to care. <laughs> no one's going to care. All they want to be known as, at least good for today. Yeah. Uh, most people still want to be known for being a good father, a good brother, a good son, and so far and so forth. Right? Uh, you know, a, a lover of God, for, for perhaps. But that's the essence of it, and and people forget that they don't see their tombstone in the future, so to speak. Anyway, those are my thoughts about that. Uh, such an important uh, way to look at life, and we need to stop once in a while to say, what do we value? What what is our meaning? All right, folks, this is Brock Lurie signing off. God bless, and we'll talk with you next week.